2: Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. My name is Maureen Metcalf and we're joined today by Chuck Gehring and Dr. Rustin Moore. And our focus is on nonprofit leaders and leadership. I selected Chuck and Rustin as my guests during the holiday season because of the importance of highlighting the work nonprofit organizations do in our community year round. I realized that there are thousands of worthy nonprofits in most communities, and I really needed to select just two that I think are really well run and that specifically these leaders epitomize what innovative leadership is all about. Both of the organizations are located in Columbus, Ohio, and their leaders set them apart as exceptional. Additionally, their missions are highly important to our community. Both of them meet multiple community needs. Life Care Alliance leads our community in identifying and delivering health and nutrition services to meet changing needs. They provide services to older adults and medically challenged residents in Franklin, Madison, and Marion Counties. These services include home meal delivery, homemaker and home health aid, and health services from registered nurses and registered dietitians at their wellness centers. The primary goal of each of these services is to help seniors remain in the comfort of their own home with dignity, which is where 100% of them want to be. Each older adult or medically challenged person Life Care Alliance keeps in their own home saves the community over $62,000 per year. Now let's talk about Rustin's organization. As the only college of veterinary medicine in Ohio, its primary mission is to educate the next generation of veterinarians. Additionally, the college plays an important role in creating a healthier world for animals and people through its research service, and outreach missions. It includes making groundbreaking research discoveries, providing the most advanced veterinary care available to animals and their caretakers through its veterinary medicine center, and engaging in providing outreach to the community. And that's what we're really going to talk about today. For example, they do outreach medicine programs that provide veterinary care to homebound and others that get food through Meals on Wheels in partnership with Life Care Alliance. They work in partnership with the Columbus Capital Area Humane Society, where their students provide spay and neuter services for animals under the supervision of faculty in addition to a number of adoptable pet services. Additionally, they provide veterinary care for the pets that are in the care of CAHS's Safe Haven program that provides housing and care for pets until their owners, who have been victims of domestic and family violence, are able to be reunited. I generally interview business leaders about their roles. This interview is with nonprofit and university leaders instead. And as we think about end-of-year donations, I really wanted to highlight these organizations and also always do a shout-out to WCBE, where we record our shows and also where I serve on the board. I invite you to explore the qualities of these leaders and of all leaders when you select organizations to do your planned giving and end-of-year giving. At Voice America and in this leadership series, my goal is to provide and senior leaders to help them update how they lead in this complex and ever-changing world. We know that through the rest of most of our careers, we're going to be facing multiple concurrent changes, and that level of change and complexity requires that we as leaders update our own leadership algorithm to meet the changing needs of our environment. In addition to sharing models and our experiences, I invite you to think of one thing in each weekly segment that really speaks to you that you would like to try out. So I've talked about innovative leaders adopting the mind of a scientist, that as we innovate, we don't come into new practices being highly skilled. Rather, we are experimenting, testing out new ways of being as leaders, and some of them we'll keep and some of them we won't. So my hope is that with each show, people hear something that they they are able to model. The outcome of today's show, most of us have structured giving plans to maximize our donation based on causes we believe in. My question to you is As you explore which organizations to donate, do you consider the leadership and organizational effectiveness before you choose who to give to? I hope that you walk away with a sense of how to determine if a nonprofit is well run and if you should donate, if they are going to use your money as effectively as possible. If you serve on the board of a nonprofit or work in a nonprofit, I hope this conversation gives you some ideas about leadership effectiveness in the nonprofit space. So let's start with Chuck. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about Life Care Alliance and, and what attracted you to this organization, given that I assume you had a lot of employment options?
3: Well, uh, I'm Chuck Gehring. the president and CEO of Life Care Alliance. I've been in that job for 14 years and with the agency that long. And uh, be, prior to that, really, I spent my first 20-plus years in the for-profit world. But uh, it was interesting. I was always on a lot of not-for-profit boards and enjoyed it, and an opportunity came up. So here I am. Or they had nobody else to hire, Marine, one of the two. But <laughs> uh, but that was the story. So uh, other things at Life Care Alliance, though, we serve seniors and medically challenged through nutrition and health care programs. So... Um, you know us best from Meals on Wheels here in central Ohio. And while that's very scattered around the country, we actually have five counties that we service, which is the most of anybody in the country. We're one of the three largest Meals on Wheels providers in the country. Then we have the oldest free cancer clinic in the United States, Columbus Cancer Clinic. We have a huge AIDS nutrition program called Project Open Hand, which you'll also find in Atlanta and San Francisco and cities like that and uh, a number of other services homemakers home health aides we're the visiting nurses of central ohio and we do whatever we can to keep people independent in their own home where they want to live because you know as as people age uh, the fact of the matter is that nobody ever checks the box on the survey that they would rather be in a nursing home or an assisted living facility
2: and going through that with my mom right now, I know it's one of the most difficult decisions parents and children have to make worrying about your parents. And yeah. I will say we're not in Ohio, so we don't have access mm-hmm. to, to your service or it might make a difference in – her next steps.
3: Well, and the services do uh, vary a lot around the country and, in fact, around the world. Mm -hmm. So if while Meals on Wheels, for example, are everywhere, the services vary greatly as to what they can give you, what diets they propose, how the variety of meals, things like that, or if there's even a service. Some of the services, unfortunately, have even uh, gone out of business. We had two counties in central Ohio uh, actually go broke. The agency went broke uh, last year and we ended up you know we're now servicing those counties Champaign and Logan counties and uh but it's uh it's very difficult uh, not the best funded thing in the world but uh, uh an important service and certainly it is like for your parents and it was for my parents too marine uh Uh, You know, we knew we had that person coming to their house every day delivering that meal or that nurse coming to visit them, and we knew somebody was checking on them if we could not. So it's a fabulous service around the country, and hopefully a lot of people will take advantage of it.
2: So a couple things that stood out that caused me to want to meet you a long time ago and that— Life Care Alliance does. So one, you don't turn anyone down. Mm -hmm. And then the other is you also run a catering business to help fund Meals on Wheels.
3: Right. Our our shtick has been for a long time now, over a decade, that we take everybody who, who calls who qualifies. Uh, and anybody can have our services if you're wealthier we just ask you to help pay for them uh, but most of our clients I would tell you about 98 percent of our clients are below the federal poverty level and about 70% percent live on under thousand dollars a month income which is a social security check for somebody and I would tell you my mom was one of those so it's 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 not just indigent and poor people it's it's my mom and everybody else's mom that's out there uh, who often go through this and um, uh, our thing has been we don't Turn anybody away. So, the issue is uh, how we do that. Of the top 50 markets in the United States, population wise, um, we're the only ones we're really aware of without waiting lists right now for the food side. Now, the medical side is different, but the food side, there's just waiting lists all over the country, a thousand, fifteen hundred people. And oftentimes, clients come to us from a hospital setting and they're heading home and hey, they need service. In fact, there was just a big national story that I was actually interviewed for here locally by the local station. That The gentleman in Arkansas was 81. He was in the hospital for two months, uh, three cancer surgeries. They kind of fixed him up and then said, okay, you can go home now. And he says, well, what am I going to do? I got nobody. I have nobody to help me. I haven't been home for two months. I have nothing in the house. What do I do? He ends up calling the sheriff that night, 911, because he doesn't know what else to do about it. And that's a sad situation. There was no program in, that, in his little suburb of Arkansas. Uh, in Columbus, Ohio, in central Ohio, the hospitals call us. We're there the next day, and we're very fortunate to do that. In order to do that, in this model, you've got to do a couple of different things. First of all, uh, you've got to make your own food. Secondly, you've got to use volunteers, Um, uh, the counties that I see really struggling are not using volunteers much. We probably have as high a rate in the country as there is on volunteer time uh, for the Meals on Wheels side, especially. And uh, obviously, we can't use volunteer nurses much on the nursing side. But uh, on the Meals on Wheels side, we use, and we're going to talk mostly about Meals on Wheels today because of the main subject matter. But Um, you know, we have to have volunteers taking meals out. So for today, uh, and it's one of the reasons we're still delivering 365 days a year. So, uh, but the third thing is fundraising, of course. We do a lot of fundraising. And then fourthly, as you referred to, is social enterprise or social entrepreneurship. Fancy term for having a for profit piece to your not for profit organization. You can actually major in social enterprise at Stanford University, believe it or not, and you can minor in it up at Case Western Reserve. And there's some schools in Central Ohio that are offering courses in it. And basically, it's just saying, hey, you take a traditional not for profit, and what can you do that's similar to what you're doing or not similar to what you're doing, whatever, to make money so that you're not, so you're able to service all your clientele. I think one of the kings of this group nationally is Goodwill, who, you know, have the thrift stores and selling your used cars. And you can say there's not a lot, you know, connected between selling your used cars and taking care of people with developmental disabilities. But it's what funds it oftentimes. In our case, because we're food and medical, we do a couple different things. But on the food side, we started a catering company about 12 years ago, and it's gotten larger, and it will fund about 200 people this year. 200 clients to get Meals on Wheels for the entire year. And I will guarantee you, even though we're a larger agency here in town, those people would be on a waiting list if we didn't have the catering company. Uh, so you do things like this. It's a new world. It's a modern world. you got to do new partnerships and some innovative ways to be able to come up with ways to, to service mm-hmm. everybody that really is in need, especially in central Ohio, as, as many people know, we are a growth area high growth area. And uh, we doubled the number of clients that we had at the agency between 2010 and 2015. And we expect it to double again, because that's what the numbers project. And if we just keep servicing about the same percentage of people, we're going to be at that point. So it's, it's a daunting task, but a fun one. And we're very fortunate to be able to do it.
2: So one of the things I talked about in the intro is as people are selecting organizations for their planned or their end-of-year giving, one of the things that I look at strongly is what are the characteristics of the leader running the organization so that I know that the money I'm giving not only goes to a cause I care about, but that as much of the money goes to the end users as And users as as the people seeking the benefits as possible. So tell us a little bit about you as a leader. I've heard innovative and this is a show about innovative leadership, so that there might be a reason you were selected. What are you doing that if someone were to say, I want to pick a guy like that, and donate to that organization. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about you.
3: Well, if you you look at our tax return, first of all, on GuideStar, you're going to see that anybody can access on the Internet, you'll see we have about a 6% overhead. So we run very lean and mean. And I recognize the fact that uh, we're in a not for profit organization there's not excess money just floating around the place. I mean, we struggle most years to really uh be able to service everybody that needs servicing so what we've had to do, i guess over the years where we've been innovative if we we've, we've started five social enterprises we have the catering company, we run a cafe on the west side we have uh, uh, the other big thing is a corporate wellness program. We do corporate wellness for companies around. That's from our healthcare side. We have nurses and dietitians that can do that. We run a travel and other immunization program. So if you're going, uh, I know Marine, you go every other month on a cruise somewhere. So <laughs> yeah. if you're taking one, <laughs> if you're taking one, you can get any shot to go any place in the world at our store on Mound Street. Believe it or not, it's very easy to get to, and we're cheap.
2: So when I climbed Uh, Kilimanjaro, I should have stopped by your place first.
3: In fact, we just had a couple that went to Kilimanjaro not too long ago. And they came down and got their shots and thought it was great, and out they went. And uh, we've got malaria pills. We've got a little bit of everything down there. We also have the hepatitis series for companies that have first responders and things like that. So we've done all these things as a way to – because we recognized when I got there 14 years ago, we recognized that as a board and a a staff that – um, uh, the traditional funding sources weren't going to keep going. The government and United Way. And government and United Way in those days were the vast majority of our funding. Uh, it has really gone way, way down now. And it's much less funding uh, percentage-wise than it used to be. And I mean dramatically less. And uh, so what we've attempted to do is we've had to come up with other funding sources or we just would have helped less people. Um, You know, I've been in situations where I've talked to other agencies and stuff, and and somebody's gotten a cut, especially during the recession of Mm the mid-2000s, and uh, people were getting cuts and things like this left and right, and the question was, well, what are you going to do about it? And the answer was always, well, we're just going to take less clients. Well, that was an unacceptable answer to many of us, mm-hmm. including me, and I, especially we don't do anything fluffy. I mean, it's all very basic needs, food, access to health care basic services, and without them, the people end up in an institutionalized setting, and uh, that would be against the mission of the agency, which is Mm -hmm. to keep people independent in their own home, which, by the way, saves the taxpayers listening to this show a boatload of money. Uh, I'll give you that stat in a little bit. But, um, you know, so we've had to be innovative as to how to make up funding in tough times, uh, and seeing around the country people just dropping clients left and right and us saying, we just can't do it. So our approach has been we're going to take the client and then figure out how to pay for it. And that makes no sense. I understand that from a business standpoint. But, uh, uh, you know, we have been able to make it work now for more than a decade. So we're hoping to keep on that track. And you're still employed. So I'm still here. <laughs> so Thank God. <laughs> So so
2: let's go to a break, and then we'll talk to Rustin Moore. This is Maureen Metcalf, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, and we're with Chuck Gehring from Life Care Alliance and Dr. Rustin Moore from the Ohio State College of Veterinary Medicine.
1: Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. Listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sun Joke All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk.
3: Are you looking to get noticed in today's business world? Listen for Chat with Chickles, what they couldn't teach you in business school. This is the show that will help you survive and thrive in business today. It's what you can do differently that will help you stand apart from everybody else in the field. Lisa Chickles and her guests can show you just how to gain that unique edge. Chat with Chickles can be heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time,
1: 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program.
2: Hi, welcome back. This is Maureen Metcalf, Innovative Leaders, Driving Thriving Organizations, and we're going to shift now to Rustin Moore. Our focus today is two organizations within the Columbus, Ohio community that I think are providing incredibly important services, and we wanted to highlight nonprofit leaders during the holidays as folks are thinking about who to donate to, These gentlemen, I think, epitomize the kind of leaders that create organizations that I personally want to donate to. So, Rustin, let's have you talk a little bit about yourself and not only the College of Veterinary Medicine, but also the outreach work that you do.
4: Sure. Well, first, Maureen, thank you for inviting me to your program. Thrilled to be here. Uh, My name is Rustin Moore. I'm currently the dean of the College of Veterinary Medicine at The Ohio State University. Uh, just finished about my 90th day on the job. I've been back here uh, for about nine years in various leadership roles and really thrilled with the uh, opportunities that we have at the College of Veterinary Medicine. We have multiple missions. So the first mission is teaching our veterinary students so they can become tomorrow's veterinarians and doing research and service. But a big component of what we do is outreach. And outreach is really where all of those uh, missions are sort of brought together. A couple of our outreach uh, areas are we provide services to the Capillary Humane Society where our students under the supervision of a faculty member does spay and neuter of our of the, the cats and dogs there, which really allows more pets to be adoptable. And it also gives our students a, a, a extremely beneficial experience in doing surgery and mm-hmm. becoming competent and competent. One of the programs we started several years ago was actually in uh, in partnership with Life Care Alliance and the Meals on Wheels program where we developed an outreach medicine program where our veterinarians would go out one or two days a week to homes that were serviced by Meals on Wheels that had pets. And uh, you probably know or people probably know that many people that uh, – that are homeless or homebound or uh, maybe there's no one in their life that the pet is the most important thing in their, their life, their family structure, their uh, loyal, their unconditional love, etc. And what our uh, veterinarians found is many of the people in the home were feeding their meals from Meals on Wheels to their pets and were not eating themselves. And so that was uh, a surprise but also a, a good discovery that helped uh, – move in the right direction, both for the people and the animals. But we provide very basic veterinary care to the pets on Meals on Wheels. And the important thing of that is not only doing that as a service, it's also associated with with research. And so we, you know, as a land-grant institution, research and and publishing useful information Mm -hmm. is important. But probably the biggest thing is is our students' experience. It's an experiential learning experience for them. Uh, It really opens their eyes that Um, the things they see in those situations are much different than what they see in the referral hospital on campus and raises civic awareness and hopefully uh, instills upon them the need to give back to their communities when they graduate and go out Mm. into uh, the workforce. So
2: you mentioned one other program when we were talking the other day, and that was something about homeless people and their pets. Can you tell us about that?
4: Sure. So um, I found this out because I actually, uh, I guess the two things that are most important to me in terms of giving are children and pets or or animals. And so I learned about an organization called the, uh, it's at Ohio State, it's called the Star House, which is a drop-in facility for homeless youth between 14 and 24 years of age. And it was startling to me the number of youth in our community that are homeless. And so uh, part of giving is money, but part of it is also giving and gathering clothing and other things. And so I got to tour the facility. And while I was there, I asked how many of these homeless youth have pets. And they didn't really know because they don't allow them in the, the drop-in facility, but they did know several had them. They also knew of an adult homeless camp uh, nearby, and they knew that many of them had pets. Uh, and so we started working with them, but also with an or- another nonprofit called Faithful Forgotten Best Friends, which really provides pet care for the adult homeless populations in, a, in Columbus. And a little bit of a, uh, uh, an issue that I have some problem with is those, you know, I understand the issues with homeless camps, but um, many of them get run out, torn down, uh, and destroyed mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. by people and so you know the important thing is these pets again are probably one of the most important things in their lives there's a lot of positive health benefits of pets on people it's an emerging field mm-hmm. of science mm-hmm. and in addition to physical health it's also emotional mental and psychological health and many of the homeless particularly the adults as i understand it do have you know there's a high level of mental health disease uh, um, and i i think the the pet's you know, provide, uh, reduce anxiety, reduce stress and frustration. Uh, You know, people with post-traumatic stress syndrome, it's been shown that that pets or a companion animal has a real positive benefit. So we uh, are going to be working with both the Star House and the Faithful Forgotten Best Friends Mm -hmm. in expanding our outreach program to continue working with Life Care Alliance for the Meals on Wheels, but also uh, for the homeless populations.
2: So it sounds like OSU is doing a lot Beyond or in in conjunction with educating students, that it's part of the education mission.
4: Yeah, well, we think it's um, it's critically um, integrated with that because, okay. as I said before, outreach is really the, uh, involves the education piece, the research piece, and the service piece, uh, and it really helps, um, in my mind, bring all those pieces together because we're providing a service. We're learning and doing research and publishing on things to hopefully expand knowledge,
3: mm-hmm. and we're
4: teaching our students, uh, certainly in this case, medical care, but also sort of people skills and the professional skills that they need to understand, mm-hmm. and particularly cultural competencies. They you know, they <laughs> need to be exposed to a broader array of people uh, mm-hmm. because we as a veterinary profession don't currently come anywhere close to um, – mimicking or reflecting the composition of society in terms of our the co- composition of of our profession, mm-hmm.
2: so I'm going to go off script as as you know I would um, your background is not mainstream wealthy family. you came from Appalachia, so tell me a little bit about your journey and how having someone who didn't uh has a little bit of a different background, how that has informed your being a a veterinarian and also how it impacts you running the vet med college.
4: Yeah, so I I came from a rural Appalachian, West Virginia. Um, Certainly uh, was fortunate that although we were first-generation college graduates, myself and my two brothers, My family was very committed to to making sure we went to school. But Mm -hmm. um, certainly when I – I always wanted to be a veterinarian, and I don't exactly know why. Um, But I always wanted to be what I refer to as an Appalachian version of James Harriet, which is sort of a country vet doctor, which is what I always observed. And I really didn't know until I got to veterinary school. And actually I started veterinary school 30 years ago this fall and I never knew the opportunities veterinary medicine provided and certainly never imagined 30 years ago I would be dean of the college 30 years later. Uh, I think my experiences growing up, uh, the people, my parents, my family, my teachers, mm-hmm. my role models and mentors, all the way through you know, med- uh, grade school, through high school, my undergraduate uh, at West Virginia University, and then throughout my career, I've been very benefited by having um, people that I found as role models and I try to emulate. And certainly, mm-hmm. you know, I've had coaching and other things that I think have helped me focus on the things that I think are important and, and bring those to, to an organization.
2: And so tell me a little bit about how you as a leader, what differentiates you?
4: <laughs> well, um you know, I've done a lot of, uh, again, through coaching, reflection, reading, um, sort of try to determine what makes me tick. Um, certainly, uh, there's a lot of things. I think I uh, have a passion and enthusiasm and energy for life <laughs> and for things that I'm really uh, passionate about, like children, like the, uh, animals and trying to find ways to to make those uh, work together. Um, I, I've actually searched a, a number of – searched and reflected, and I guess three or four things that come to mind um, that have – that emerged that I sort of seem to uh, always be innately collaborative and try to work to build relationships that can help move an individual or an mm-hmm. organization forward. I think committed to helping people in the, in the mm-hmm. organization grow and develop mm-hmm. in their roles – so that they can contribute and maybe move on into other roles either in our organization or or another one. Something that comes out time and time again, and I think this goes back probably to my background, is um, I'm highly empathetic and compassionate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes out both with my work with people and animals. Um, certainly always trying to make sure that I have a commitment to the right action and mm-hmm. trying to find that out through uh, listening, learning, and, and ultimately making the right decision that's in the best uh, interest of the organization. And then I think the other thing, which is goes back to my passion and uh, Enthusiasm is just the ability to inspire others to, um, I don't want to say follow, but certainly to get behind the vision of the organization and move it forward in the best interest of uh, the whole institutional Mm -hmm. organization to Mm -hmm. meet our collective mission.
2: One of the things that stood out in working with you was that you were the go-to guy. People all over campus Students, faculty, administrators all seem to feel comfortable popping in your office. So that that innately collaborative – and I'd say the same is true of Chuck, that well before I ever met Chuck, people around the community, a lo- almost everyone I knew talked about Chuck. He was the guy to meet. So it's, he's shaking his head. <laughs> but, but it's true that that good leaders, people know about you and talk about you in a positive, constructive way. You need to meet this guy. He's he's making a positive impact. And I would say that certainly summarizes the work both of you do in our community. So I'm going to go to break now, and we will come back and have a conversation with both Chuck and Rustin about the social service aspects of both of your work. And also, if we think about... Your corporate counterparts, what guidance, what, what is similar between nonprofit and for profit leadership, especially Chuck, because you've done both, and also what would you want your boards to be thinking about so that they can be more supportive of you? So, this is Maureen Metcalf, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We'll be right back. <music>
1: Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now.
2: The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K. on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.
1: You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program.
2: Welcome back. This is Maureen Metcalf with Chuck Gehring and Dr. Rustin Moore. And we were talking a little bit about the connection between the pet program and Meals on Wheels. So why don't you tell us a little bit more, Chuck? Why don't you start with it and then Rustin? Mm -hmm. How did did this get started?
3: Well, believe it or not, I've been at Life Care 14 years, but 20 years ago, I was sitting in a doctor's office, not a vet, Rustin, but a doctor's (laughs) office, and I read an article in People Magazine, a short one, about San Diego doing this Anna Meals program. Basically what they were doing, they had recognized that people – Uh, want to feed that pet and they'll do anything to keep the pet because when you're a senior or medically challenged individual, a medically challenged individual individual is someone who's homebound but younger than Mm -hmm. senior age. That pet is the social worker, the depression counselor, the security system, the best friend. It's everything to you. But when you're homebound, you can't get out and buy the dog food because oftentimes our clients are trying to decide whether they're going to buy food for themselves or medicine that month, let alone taking care of the pet. And, uh, you know, the cheapest way to buy dog food is the 100-pound bag, and there's no way they can get that. So uh, they, they would oftentimes have to give their pet up which was just like slow death. I mean, it really was. It was a horrible thing. So how could we help them if they're going to stay independent in their own home? So we started with no money. We had no grants, no nothing. And we just – I had remembered this article. Mm -hmm. And we had the same issue that we had a lot of our people giving pet food – their Meals on Wheels food, I mean, to their pets, which is bad for both parties because cats and Salisbury steak are not a good match. (laughs) So – it's, um, you know, it's one of those things. So we had to figure out how to take care of this. So mm-hmm. we started asking people basically in some of the companies for donations of pet food. And, and uh, it just went on from there. Well, then the, the clients started saying, and I've got a room now in a warehouse that's basically full of pet food at any one time. We never buy pet food, hardly ever, unless somebody gives us a specific donation for something special. Uh, so then we went on from there, and we had a couple clients say, hey, this is great, but my dog or cat has, hasn't had shots in eight years or hasn't seen a vet in eight years. So we started looking around, and we ended up at OSU. And uh, where else in central Ohio yeah. would you end up other than OSU? <laughs> and the vet school, I, we thought it was a natural match that uh, the vets and especially the students – could work on these pets to help keep them independent uh, and with these folks every day. And we've even gone so far now as to – we did a couple of things with a couple of shelters to actually place cats Hmm. with clients because a cat doesn't need walking. It's much more independent. And we've actually been – and there's a lot of cats on death row, unfortunately. So uh, we were able to place some cats – especially with some clients who are just thrilled to have them. It's just a case, can I get food for them, et cetera, et cetera. So now it's progressed. We get all the broken bags of pet food from Walmart, PetSmart, um, and the Mid-Ohio Food Bank doesn't want to be in that business, so any pet food they get comes up to us. And we're the clearinghouse. We've had as many as 13 other animal rights groups use our warehouse as kind of a Mm. place to get some pet food from. And then it's really attracted a whole different group of donors and volunteers. We used to run the pet food out on the Meals on Wheels routes because we have this system. But sometimes it was tough for some of the people to take it because it's a lot of extra carrying and things like that. So we now have more than 20 routes on Saturday and Sunday that do nothing but have volunteers delivering pet food.
2: That's pretty amazing. Think
3: about it. It's a whole other group of people out there. So, uh, But the, the, big, uh, the big jump that we had, the food is critical. There's no question. But the big jump we had, like I said, most of these people, they, because they're below the poverty level and very mm-hmm. poor, they couldn't access the vet care. But that pet is just life to them.
2: Yeah, you know, I mentioned earlier that my mom is in that transition. Mm-hmm. And her cat is probably the most impor- – uh, other than the grandson – the cat is the most important – creature in her life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably more important than us because she's with the cat every day and she's not with the children every
3: day. Yeah, that's exactly right.
2: So, Rustin, how about OSU? How did they get involved? Chuck's mentioned identifying the need. Mm -hmm. How did that turn into an actual service?
4: Well, two of our faculty members, uh, Dr. Linda Lord and Dr. Larry Hill, uh, both uh, together, I mean, I I think this was a, a sort of a organic thing that grew out of their interest mm-hmm. in and mm-hmm. in recognizing the benefit of the pet in a person's life or a family mm-hmm. situation and actually knowing the needs of 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 people that are in need of of, of additional support and we got, uh, they got a grant uh, actually through an organization and then started exploring how they were going to best implement the program they wanted to make sure mm-hmm. they have the biggest impact and get use the resources from the mm-hmm. grant in the best way possible. And that's how, again, they got connected with Life Care Alliance and Meals on Wheels. And they would go in one or two days a week. They would have students with them they were, uh, and also a veterinary technician or a mm-hmm. nurse equivalent. And they would uh, uh, the nurse equivalent uh, would set all these routes up in advance. They'd call and set up appointments. Mm-hmm. And then they would go in and, and evaluate the animal, do a physical exam, mm-hmm. vaccines, basic care, If they identified Mm -hmm. a major issue, which there were in some, Mm -hmm. uh, there were some levels of funding to maybe take that animal into our hospital and do some more advanced care and then take it Mm -hmm. back, although funds were pretty limited for that. Um, You know, maybe it needed a dental um, because Mm -hmm. it had a lot of teeth that were infected. Uh, Maybe there was a bad uh, type of dermatitis that that Mm -hmm. needed something. And so that's really how it got started. Um, it, It did... There was That probably went on for about three years. And then there was a little hiatus um, because of some people in our organization that were changing positions mm-hmm, uh, and also mm-hmm. funding. And so we're just now starting that back up. Uh, I can tell you by f- reading the evaluations from the students, it was one of the most moving experiences for them mm-hmm. uh, to see the need mm-hmm. and to have the impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Linda tells a story that actually – they would start calling with um, mm-hmm. emergencies. Um, the, the the people that had the pets, mm-hmm. and actually, mm-hmm. it was really more about loneliness. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about the I mean uh, the pet. You know, when they yeah. when they'd go, yeah. they'd find out well, the pet's not that that much different. <laughs> it was uh, there was a loneliness factor, which you could understand why.
2: Yeah. Well, and and thinking about leadership development and the mm. things that happen along the journey. developing empathy and emotional intelligence, seeing people being in their homes, caring for them, caring for their pets, makes us very different people than going to buildings where we put on suits and ties. So it, it seems foundational to create those opportunities for our young leaders. And I know some of Chuck's volunteers are young leaders and not so young leaders that you've got people, where do you get your volunteers from? Everywhere. How? Anywhere. How, do, how would I mean, they There know? are a
3: number. Well, first of all, there's a number of Ohio State University students who volunteer mm-hmm. for us and always have and always will, I'm sure. But we get them from any place mm-hmm. we can. I mean, there are retirees. Um, uh, one of the things that has differentiated us in the nation mm-hmm. we know we're number one in the country with the number uh, the number of companies that have adopted a meals on wheels route because all the meals on wheels get delivered at lunchtime because okay. as you know in december in central ohio it's mm-hmm. dark at four o'clock and uh it's it's better for nutrition it's better mm-hmm. for their uh just how they process the food etc cetera, etc cetera, to eat their big meal at lunchtime so, who can deliver at lunch? And the idea was could we have a couple people from a company be allowed mm-hmm. to go out and deliver meals? And that's more, we have now more than 103 companies and groups. Mm-hmm. And when I say companies, that includes several groups up at the Ohio State University, where I graduated from, too. And uh, they go out at lunchtime and two people mm-hmm. go out and deliver meals. Well, now for the pet care side, it has just grown. Really, organically, um, mm-hmm. from uh, word of mouth, mm-hmm. and people are just doing all kinds of stuff. And then, of course, Dr. Moore and his crew up at Ohio State have have garnered uh, the help that they need. They need, mm-hmm. obviously, a little more professional help because mm-hmm. they're actually doing something medically important for the animal. Mm-hmm. We're just giving them food, but uh, you know, it's it's a great partnership, and I think it should be noted. Since this is a show on innovation and innovative mm-hmm. leaders, and I'm not going to claim I am, but of the top 50 markets in the country, there's only about five of us right now. And there's nobody in small towns doing this. There's only about five out of the top 50 markets even attempting the pet food thing. And mm. uh, then to extend it on to uh, having a university partner like the Ohio State University College of Veterinary Medicine, they just their mouths dropped. Mm. nationally when they heard about this Mm -hmm. and you got them to do this. Well, yeah, you know, they wanted to do it. And uh, so it's, it's, I think, a unique partnership. It's not Mm -hmm. the only one in the country, certainly. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, uh, you know, when you combine the forces that you Mm -hmm. can move a lot of mountains.
2: One of the characteristics of innovative leadership is innately committed to right action. And it sounds like this is an innovative approach to doing the right thing to serve our community as a whole.
4: Yeah, I agree with that. And I also wanted to mention that, you know, veterinarians in general, and certainly our veterinary students, uh, are typically characterized as being very empathetic and compassionate. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, our students actually do a lot of organizing of volunteer activities like this themselves. And Mm-hmm. one is called they do this once a semester it's called oath and action day mm-hmm. and they uh their oath and action uh day uh the last couple of those have been focused on the uh, working with the for uh uh the organization i mentioned earlier about faithful friends fr- mm. of the yeah. forgotten um and doing the homeless pet care and doing clinics on a saturday mm-hmm. and so they organize that themselves mm-hmm. so they, uh, they, I think, understand the importance of it and the, way, the need to give back and mm. the structure that we put around it, I think, just helps support that.
2: You know, it seems foundational for us as humans and certainly as leaders to recognize that we're really the fortunate few and the impact we make on our community is in addition to the good work we do, which is our primary focus, we really do have an obligation to serve the community that serves us, that most of us wouldn't be in business if our organizations weren't people in our communities and global community in many cases, wasn't buying what we're selling. So it's, I'm honored to have both of you here. And I want to talk a little bit about Chuck, you've worked in for profit and nonprofit. And Rustin, you work in a large university that's clearly a behemoth, Um, second largest university in the country, I think sometimes the largest. What characteristics of leadership, do you see any difference between nonprofit leaders and for-profit leaders?
3: Well, the only thing I'd say is I did get to do both sides. I have gotten to do both sides. Uh, uh, For-profit leaders are better, often have more access to training and are better Mm -hmm. trained. Um, So I feel blessed every day that I got to do the for-profit side before Mm -hmm. I got into the not-for-profit side. And um, now not at the Ohio State University, certainly. They have a wonderful program. But for groups like us, training is an issue a lot of times. And sometimes we don't always know what to do about the problem. But I was Mm -hmm. trained by my, uh, you know, I grew up at Anheuser-Busch for many years and things like that. And they trained me, hey, figure out where you want the problem to, where you want to get at the end of the line Mm -hmm. with the problem Mm -hmm. and then work into it. And that's what we've done is we've got to keep people independent in their own home where they want Mm -hmm. to be to save the taxpayers uh, tons of dollars and keep everybody going well. Um, And if we're going to do that, how do we back into it? And obviously, we backed into the fact that we had at the time, several years ago, when we first started talking to Ohio State, uh, we had 64% of our clients had a cat, a dog, I mean, and 62% had a cat. So for the math majors, some had both, right? (laughs) And and we just talked to the clients, and it was so key to them staying in Mm -hmm. their own home and being independent, that we had to do something about it. So we mm-hmm. figured out a way to get the food donated, and, which we have now mm-hmm. for a decade, and we figured out that the Ohio State University are the go-to folks in this community, and mm-hmm. many communities, and worked with them, and got this program
4: going, and it's been super ever since. Well, I certainly haven't worked in the uh, private sector, but certainly have been in academia all my life, and I would say the two major differences I see are, particularly in academia, maybe not applicable to all nonprofit, is that it's a shared governance system, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is important. So it's important to engage our faculty, staff, students internally, mm-hmm. and our external stakeholders, our alumni, our, our donors, our corporate partners, mm-hmm. to develop a, a, sh- a shared vision and then how to implement that. And it's it's really. You know, probably not um, top down. It's more, mm-hmm. you know, coming from from out uh, in all those groups, mm-hmm. and then coming up with something that um, is something that's achievable and that stretches our boundaries. So mm-hmm. I think the shared governance piece is much different than in probably either nonprofit or private. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, more and more, we are relying on philanthropic support for our programs with higher education in general and in particular veterinary medicine. The the amount of state support that's coming in uh, on a percentage basis is decreasing Mm -hmm. uh, of our total budget. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. we really, for us to do the types of things we've been talking about today, Mm -hmm. that's required philanthropic support. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not something that pays for itself uh, and that we have the resources that are coming from the state. And we certainly can't uh, put that on the backs of the students who already pay a really high tuition rate. uh, Mm -hmm. uh, And we can't add to that um, that tuition and debt burden.
2: Mm-hmm. And I realize having been on the board of trustees of a university, tuition is the biggest subject. And shared governance is leading in a shared governance environment. That collaboration really is foundational. I I didn't get to say this is just how we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that didn't go so well. <laughs> so it, it did feel like governing was very different.
4: Well, and I think Better solutions and ideas come out of that where you've Mm -hmm. got multiple people having input into it at all levels, faculty, staff, students internally and and the others that I mentioned. And hopefully in the end, um, the direction you're going and Mm -hmm. and the uh, impact you're having is going to be much greater.
2: Well, you think you're working, you assume, at least I assumed, working in a university that I would be working with some of the best thinkers. And so it would be ridiculous to not include them. So can you give us one minute? There's a story about you and a horse after Katrina, and then we're going to wrap up.
4: Sure. Well, I was in Louisiana during Hurricane Katrina. We uh, ended up, uh, I sort of got... Uh, chosen by default to uh, organize uh, a re- rescue effort. We rescued about 500 horses uh during that um the aftermath of that. And then about 2 months later one of the horses was actually a pony uh that was rescued um was attacked by a dog and mm. ended up losing uh the lower portion of its leg because of injury, and so the the owner was very persistent that they were going to save this pony's life and called me who I, she and I knew each other, and of course asked me if I would consider amputating and doing a prosthesis, which I had never done before and didn't really think that it was probably something that would be that um, suitable, but agreed to see the pony and then observed it and to make a long story short, we did a, a an amputation and fit it with a mm-hmm. prosthesis and In February, it will be 10 years since that pony, and it travels around the country to, um, it's been to Walter Reed, it's been Mm. to children's cancer camps, children's hospitals, letting, I think I I say it lets people that look Mm -hmm. different feel like that they aren't that different because Mm -hmm. this pony acts like a pony, Mm -hmm. even though it has a prosthetic leg.
2: Thank you. I, so that's the perfect note to end on. And I'm have, I have the great pleasure of sitting in a studio at WCBE with Dr. Rustin Moore and Chuck Garing, both who have dedicated much of their lives to public service, to, to serving our community in nonprofit, through volunteering, in leadership roles. And as you've just heard from Rustin, and I'm sure Chuck has many stories as well about how their lives have been shaped by the volunteering that they've done. And so as we are, if you're listening to this, as it first airs on December 15th, we're in the middle of the holiday season. For those people who are interested in making end-of-year donations, strongly encourage you to consider these organizations or, or the millions of nonprofits in your communities. Look at the leaders running the organizations, make sure that they are meeting the standards that these two gentlemen set or somewhere near that, that the donations that you're making go to actually provide the service to the people you're intending to help. Happy holidays. Thank you for joining us. This is Maureen Metcalf, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations.
1: Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel.